when I went to school in the 80s and 90s, every single class started off the exact same way. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? When you showed up to class, when you were in elementary, middle, or high school, they always kicked it off with taking roll, right? Taking attendance. So every student would get in their seat, and then the teacher would pull out the roll sheet, and they would go alphabetically. They would call out everybody's name, and you were expected to respond when they said your name with? Here. Here. Or if you're a brainiac, present, you know, everybody's like, ooh, using the fancy word, right? If you were the class clown like me, they would call your name and you would respond with, ka And the teacher would roll her eyes and she's like, you're not funny, Dan. You've done that like a hundred days in a row. But that's how it was. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I don't know if they take attendance in school anymore. Do they do it this way? I feel like technology has probably made this unnecessary, you know? Like, the kids are automatically checked into the class when they show up and put on their VR suit or whatever the heck it is they do in school these days. I have no idea, but I'm sure that's probably how it goes. Now, actually, I got an email the other day that promised to help me track your attendance in church more efficiently every single week. This is a true story, okay? So, I was like, well, this is interesting. Let me see what they're doing. So I click on the email, and what this company offers is facial recognition software that you can install in your church so that when you show up and walk in the lobby, it notices, oh, Amber's here today, and it marks her as present. And if you don't show up for two or three weeks, then they mark you as absent. You might follow up with them creepy. I mean, I'm serious. You can Google this, okay? This is a legit thing that is available, at least. I don't know of any churches that are actually using it, all right? I can promise you we will never use these systems at Connect Church because they're too expensive, you guys. They want thousands of dollars for this. No, I'm kidding. We would never do that. All right. So look, um, (laughs) the reason I bring up this whole idea of attendance and role and presence and absence and all of those different things is I wonder if you were taking role or attendance in your life, would you say that God has been present or God has been absent in your life? Like if you're checking off like, hey, these are the people that are here. It's like, oh, my my partner's here. My ride or die, they're always with me. My kids, of course, they're always there. My best friends, they've been with me since school. But if you got to the line that said, God, your heavenly father, Would you say, yeah, God's been present or God's been absent? Now, I know that's kind of a a weird question, but the truth of the matter is that there are some people that live every single day with a sense that God really is with them. There is like this tangible feeling that they are not alone, that God really is real, that he is near, that he is speaking and they are hearing. And then there are other people and you live life and you're like, I don't know, it just feels like if there is a God, he is distant or he is hidden maybe even non-existent, I don't really know. And so I wonder where you're at this morning, wherever you might fall on that spectrum, this new series called Presence is really designed to help you to encounter and experience God as a reality every single day. I don't want you thinking about God in some abstract terms, right? He's some great spirit in the sky, and if he exists, then maybe one day I'll see him or something when I die or whatnot. No, God is present in the here and now. He is present in your life every single day. And so this series, four weeks long, is designed to help you to become aware 
and to genuinely experience God in the day-to-day. Now, if you're a skeptic and, uh, you know, you're listening to this and you're like, I always thought Christians were crazy, but now I'm sure of it, okay? Like, you guys are talking about feeling and sensing and seeing and hearing God. I know that sounds wild, and we're going to talk about why it sounds so crazy in our world today, but I'm going to hopefully help you to see from the Scripture why it really is possible. Now, you might say, why? What's the big deal, Dan? I've gone, you know, 40 years, and uh, I haven't experienced or sensed God like this throughout my daily life. What's the point? What do I gain if I live a life in which I am very familiar with God's presence? Well, I think we find one answer, at least, in Psalm chapter number 16, verse 11. Check out this verse. Psalm 16, 11 says, God, you will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever, okay? So what this scripture at least promises, and I've certainly found this to be true, I hope that many of you have as well, or that you will by the time we're done, is that if you want life overflowing and joy overwhelming in your life, if you want there to be more meaning, if you want your life to be infused with this sense that God is with you and for you, then you will find it in God's presence, okay? There are wonderful things in life that will divert you and entertain you, okay? But if you're looking for life overflowing and joy overwhelming, you will not find it in money or vacations or getting married or copping a PlayStation 5 finally. I mean, some of you guys have been on Kijiji every single day looking for that bad boy. I get it. And none of those things are bad in and of themselves, but none of them were meant to ultimately or finally satisfy you. Only the presence of God can do that. Now, before we even get started, there are probably some of you here and you're thinking to yourself, wait, God is everywhere, Dan. So how can you even talk about God like being present or absent in our lives? There's literally nowhere you can go on earth in which God is not already there, right? So isn't this kind of even a a silly conversation? Certainly there's some truth to that, okay? There is some truth to that idea. But if you pay close attention to the scripture, what you'll find out is that God's presence is spoken of in three primary ways, three ways. And it would be helpful, I think, if we kind of just differentiate these three ways so that as we continue to talk about this throughout the the series, you'll have a a sense of what we're talking about. So the three ways in which presence, God's presence is used in the scripture. First of all, the Bible speaks of God's omnipresence, his omnipresence. That's a really fancy theological word. And omnipresence is simply the, the quality of God that allows him to exist outside of space and time. Can we put that on the screen, please? Omnipresence. It's that quality of God's that allows him to exist everywhere all at once. There literally is nowhere that God doesn't exist here on earth, throughout the universe, okay? And throughout time, by the way. If you look in Jeremiah chapter number 23, verse 24, the scripture says, and this is God speaking, of course, can anyone hide from me in some secret place? I was listening to this podcast the other day about like um, kids that go missing, right? And um, I listen to weird stuff, you guys, like crime podcasts, murder podcasts, missing kids. It is weird, okay? But it, anyway, so I'm listening to it. And it was this story about how this family was looking for their kid for like hours. I mean, we're talking like a full day freaking out, law enforcement, people combing the fields nearby and all this stuff. And it turns out the kid was hiding in a closet in the house the whole time. They thought they were playing hide and go seek. Listen, God says, you cannot play hide and go seek with me. There is nowhere you can go on earth that you would not find me or that I could not find you. Literally, am I not everywhere in all the heavens and earth? And so one of the ways that we talk about God's presence is his omnipresence. He is literally everywhere all the time. 
Then the scriptures speak of what we might call God's inner presence. We have omnipresence, and then we might talk about God's inner presence. And when we talk about God's inner presence, we talk about the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit inside of believers. That when you give your life to Jesus, you say, okay, I'm all in. I'm trusting and believing in God. That as a gift, God gives you the Holy Spirit. He takes up residence. He dwells inside of you, all right? Some people believe that God lives in church buildings. Many religions teach this, but the Christian faith teaches that God lives inside of people. All right, so you see here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, verse 16, The scripture asks, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells within you? All right, the spirit of God dwells within you. So we've got omnipresence, we've got inner presence. And then finally, we we see the scripture speaking of God's manifest presence, his manifest presence. And this is what we're going to be talking about throughout this series. When we talk about God's presence, we're talking about his presence manifested. What does that mean? It is the revealed or tangible presence of God. Like, yeah, God's everywhere, and maybe God lives in my heart, but do I know it? Do I feel it? Do I sense it? Does it change life for me every single day? That is what God is after, and we want to experience his manifest presence of God. So this can occur either through some divine act of revelation, like if God wanted to, God could show up right here on the screen and reveal himself. Now, I'm going to give a little space because I don't know God. I don't know what God wants to do. No, okay. So God could do that. And in fact, we see many examples of God doing that throughout the scripture in which God miraculously manifested his presence to people. So we've got the burning bush and Moses. You guys remember that story? We're actually gonna talk a little bit about Moses next week. We've got uh, the pillar of cloud that the Israelites followed during the Exodus story. Um, What else do we have? We've got um, the dove at Jesus' baptism, right? That landed on Christ's shoulder. We've got the mighty wind at Pentecost in, in the book of Acts. And then we've got the sun that never sets in Revelation uh, chapter 22. These are all examples of God manifesting his presence. Those are divine, miraculous, special acts. Can I tell you, those are pretty rare, okay? They are few and far between. If you're thinking, Dan, I bet as a pastor, you just see God all the time. He shows up to you every single day. Eh, I wish... But he doesn't show up to me any more than he shows up to you, okay? Um, And in fact, I I don't think there's ever been a moment in which I've just miraculously seen some manifestation of God himself. I think I've seen God's work. I've certainly felt and sensed his presence. And so what I want you to understand here, when we talk about the manifest presence of God, it could be that God just shows up. He displays himself in some way that you can receive and interpret with your five senses. God can certainly do that. But more typically, when we talk about the manifest presence of God, we are talking about learning to understand and be aware of God in ways that go beyond your five senses. See, we normally think just taste, touch, smell, taste, touch, smell, sight, and what's the word I'm hearing, right? We normally think of those five senses. But in reality, although those are ways to help us encounter God, there are other ways to know God as well. There are other ways to sense his presence. And so um, this manifest presence of God, it can be miraculous or it can be learned. It can be cultivated. You can learn to sense God every single day in your life, all right? 
Now, one of the most helpful examples of how this whole idea of God manifesting his presence in your life, one of the most helpful examples is found in the first book of the Bible, Genesis. In, um, in Genesis chapters one through three, we get the story of Adam and Eve. And so I wanna highlight just a couple of things here from this story. It's one of the most famous stories in the world. Like even if you're not a Bible person, you're kind of familiar with the broad stroke. So we're not gonna read the whole thing, but let me remind you of what's going on. In Genesis chapter one and two, we read about how God creates Adam and Eve. He places them in this paradise garden garden, right? It is a place where there is no death. There's no like harm or hurt, tears, anything like that. It is literally heaven on earth. And in this paradise garden, every single day, God shows up and he has a special time with Adam and Eve. Like, I don't know exactly what this looks like. The Bible doesn't give us a whole lot of details. I don't know if they sit around and play cards. I don't know if they chat. I don't know what it is like. Okay. Probably not the cards thing, but anyway, God shows up every day. His presence is manifest among Adam and Eve. He doesn't live in the garden with them, but he displays himself to them uh, periodically. Now, God gives them one rule, like literally one rule. The only rule they're not supposed to break, of course, it's not to eat the fruit of the knowledge of uh, good and evil. And although there's only one rule and you feel like, okay, if there were only one rule in the world, I would probably be able to not break that one rule Adam and Eve can't do it. Neither could you or I, but that's another story. So they eat the one fruit they're not supposed to eat. And look what the scripture says happens as a result. Pay close attention to Genesis chapter number three, verse eight. The scripture says that after they eat the fruit, they they disobey, they break the commandment, okay? They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. How weird would that be? You know what I mean? If you just heard God walking, I don't know if it's like big thundering T-Rex footsteps. I don't know what this sounds like. This is what the scripture says. It's a little poetic here, but that's okay. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, I want to dig into this verse a little bit this morning, because I think there are several principles that we can pull out, like literally things that will help you to experience God more tangibly, more really in the coming days. So um, the first thing that I think we can learn from this and from many other passages in scripture is that you and I were created to live in the presence of God. You and I were created to live in the presence of God. We were not created to do life alone. It doesn't matter whether you're a religious person or a non-religious person. Guess what? You were created to live in the presence of God. doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, old or young, if you're white or Filipino or whatever. Every single person on the planet was created to live in the presence of God. The original state of humanity, like God's design for me and you, was to have this awareness of and enjoyment of God and his reality in our lives. Like from the very beginning, Adam and Eve, they saw God, they heard God, they walked with God. I mean, they had this close relationship that honestly, I'm a little bit jealous of. I mean, it would be pretty amazing to be that close to your creator. God wants that for me and he wants it for you as well. In fact, it was God's presence in the garden that made it paradise. Do you realize that? We like to think, okay, it was paradise because it was beautiful. It was like this beautiful creation. And it was paradise because there was no sin. And it was paradise because there was no death and all of that. And that's all great. That does make it more like paradise, certainly. But the thing that really made this paradise was the fact that God was present with them. Now, if we were to extend this all the way like to the end of the scripture and to the end of of the world even, the thing that makes heaven, heaven, 
Like a lot of people talk about this, right? We just had a family member that passed away recently in, in uh, our family. And, you know, it's like, oh, you, that person is in heaven. They're seeing all of their loved ones. Streets of gold, come on, how great would that be, you know? And we talk about all these wonderful things that are present, but none of that actually makes it heaven. Heaven is the place where God is, right? So that means heaven can be in a lot of places, even right here on earth, but we'll get into that later in the series. So heaven, the manifestation of God's presence really is paradise. This is what we were created for. This is what you're supposed to be experiencing every single day. This is what God wants for you. And if you're not experiencing this, then God has a plan. He really does. He wants to get you from where you are feeling isolated and lonely, maybe even forgotten or abandoned. And he wants to get you to a place where every day you sense his tangible presence. All right. So in the garden, it's God's presence that matters. In life, there are a lot of things you and I can pursue. There are a lot of things I want. There are a lot of things I hope to have. But it's so important that we recognize that God's presence is the only thing that ultimately matters. The thing that will truly, finally, and fully satisfy us is God's presence. You can have money. You can have family. You can have a job you love. You can have vacations. You can have everything else that life offers. But without God, you're missing something. This is the way Jesus put it in Matthew chapter number 16. He says, uh, what does it benefit you if you gain the whole world but lose your soul in the process. That's not a trade worth making. Now, you can have the whole world, and you can have God too, okay? So the presence of God is what really matters, okay? If that's the case, why don't you and I experience God the way that we should? If, 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 if God really wants me to experience him, feel him, recognize him, hear from him every single day, then why is it that most days I don't? Why is it that very often we feel alone, We feel isolated. We wonder if God is even there. Well, the answer is found here in Genesis chapter number three, verse eight. In the second half of that verse, I want you to pay attention. It says that after Adam and Eve, they disobeyed, that they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. They hid themselves from God's presence. So what's the principle? The principle is that although you and I, every single one of us were created to live in God's presence every day, sin causes us to try to escape the presence of God. Now I get it. You you come to church and you're like, man, is sin all these people talk about? Yes. No, it's not true. We don't only talk about that. And you know that if you've been here for a long time, but here's the deal. We can't ignore it either. Okay. We're not going to talk about as if it's the only thing we're about Jesus. We ain't about sin. We ain't trying to beat people up. We are trying to set people free and help them live life overflowing in Christ. In order to do that, we have to acknowledge that there is real sin in the world. There's real sin in my life. And that sin causes me to try to escape from the presence of God. Once Adam and Eve disobeyed, there was a broken relationship between them and God. And from that point on, they hid themselves. Now I want you to catch this. It doesn't simply say they hid themselves from God. It says they hid themselves from the presence of God. That's significant, and that is a phrase that is repeated many times throughout the scripture. So this is Genesis 3. If you go to Genesis 4, I don't have this on, oh, I do have this on the screen. Genesis 4, we've got the story of Adam and Eve's sons, okay? We've got Cain and Abel. Abel's the firstborn, Cain is the secondborn son, and the scripture says that one day Cain becomes very angry with his brother and he kills him. The first murder that's recorded in scripture, one brother killing another. And look at what it says here in Genesis chapter number four, verse 16. So Cain, after he had committed this horrible act, fled the Lord's presence and he settled in the land east of Eden. 
You can jump ahead to the book of Jonah. Remember, we did this whole series on the book of Jonah. It was one of my favorites we ever did. And in Jonah chapter number one, verse three, God gives Jonah an assignment. He says, I want you to go to the ancient country of Iraq is where it was. And he says, I want you to preach them. I want you to tell them to repent and turn to God. And Jonah's like, nah, I ain't doing that. And so the scripture says that he runs away. And look what it says here. Jonah one, three, Jonah rose to flee from the presence of the Lord. There's that phrase again. He ran away to the city of Tarshish. And so we could go on and on. There are many examples examples of this in the scripture. And it's not like every time somebody sins in the Bible, it's like, and so-and-so fled from the presence of the Lord. Because honestly, every other verse in the Bible would be, and so-and-so fled, okay? But every time the scripture does use this phrase, every time it says somebody fled from the Lord, it's always in the context of sin. Sin causes us to try to flee from God's presence. Listen, you may feel like God has abandoned you. You may feel like he has never been there for you. You may feel like he is hidden. Maybe other people see things that you don't, but you don't have this God gene or whatever it is, okay, that allows some people to believe that they can sense God every single day. You may feel like God is the one who, has, who is concealed. But according to these scriptures, who's really hiding? Who is concealing? It's not God, it's us. It's our sin that blinds us and blocks us from seeing and experiencing God the way that we are supposed to. If we're taking attendance, I don't get to mark God absent. I have to mark Dan absent. I'm the one that's been trying to escape from God's presence because of sin. Maybe we could put it like this. I hope this is helpful to you. God is hidden, but God is not hiding. Okay, let's think about this for a sec. God is hidden. I can't tell you that every single day, if you just pay real close attention, you're going to see these miraculous manifestations of God's presence. I already told you, I don't see them, okay? At least not very often. God is hidden. If you want to find him, you have to seek him. In Jeremiah, he says, you will find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Put some effort in here, okay? God is hidden. But the reason is not because God is hiding himself from you. The reason is because we are hiding ourselves from God's presence. God is hidden, but God is not hiding. We are not aware of God as we should be. Our sense of God is dull or it's absent. But again, it's not because God is hiding. It is because our sin blinds us from sensing and experiencing God every single day. Let me illustrate what I mean here. I borrowed my wife's sleeping mask. She was dead asleep this morning at like 5.36 when I got up. She had this thing on her eyes. I was like, babe, I need to borrow your eye mask. And she's like, are you kidding me? You couldn't have asked this last night, you know? No, I couldn't have apparently. All right. So if I put on... Okay, if I put on the blindfold... I gotta make sure I'm not too close to the stage here, the edge. All right, if I put on the blindfold... As far as I'm concerned, you guys have disappeared. You're gone. I don't see you. You're not there. I don't know which way I'm looking anymore. You guys are gone. But here's the thing. Although you are hidden from me, you are not hiding from me. You're not under the chairs. You didn't like sneak out the door. I mean, you could have, and I wouldn't even know it at this point, but like you didn't try to get away. You're not hiding yourself from me. You are hidden from me. And so many people go through life and they believe that God is hiding from them. When in reality, God is hidden. And the thing that is blocking their view is their sinfulness, my sinfulness. 
I am no different than any of you. This blocks our ability to see and sense God, to experience his presence every single day the way that we should. Now, look, if I were to leave the blindfold on, and I were to do my best, like over time, really focus and train myself, although I've lost one of my senses, I could probably learn to use my other senses in order to understand that you're present in the room, right? So I could hear you if I learned to listen close enough, and you guys said amen and every once in a while, that would help, okay? So um, <laughs> just throw that, thank you, I'll just throw that out there. Um, I might be able to learn to smell you if I really try, um, you know, perfume, not body odor, you, you understand what I'm saying. Like I could train my senses to be better able. But what I really need is for the blindfold to be removed. See, I need somebody to come and to take this away so that I have the capacity that I didn't have before. The ability to see what was always there. You guys were always here. I was simply blind to it. You were not hiding, but you were hidden. God is not hiding, though God is hidden. And the only way that you're ever really going to be able to see him and experience his presence the way that he desires is for the blindfold of sin to be taken away and then for you to train your soul to see and respond, to sense and respond to God. Now, you might just say to yourself, well, look, okay, Dan, what you're saying is cool, and I want to I sense and experience God more clearly every single day, so I'll just take the blindfold off myself. I'll just take it off, and then I'll be able to see God. Here's the thing. Sin is not so much a blindfold as it is a blinding. Sin is not so much a blindfold as it is a blinding. It is something that permanently it affects and impacts our ability to sense and respond to God. And so we can no more take off the blindfold, spiritually speaking, than somebody who is physically blind could say, well, I'll just make my eyes work. If they could, they would, but they can't. And listen, with all due respect in the world, you're a wonderful person. I know you're a spiritual person. You've sought God in all of these different avenues, and that's wonderful. But there is still a blindfold on your eyes. And part of the reason that you are not experiencing God the way that you have desired to is because you have not allowed God to remove the blindfold. That is what we're missing. That is what we need. And thankfully, God offers to do that for us. Now, there's one more aspect. Okay, we're going to wrap this thing up here. There's one more aspect of this idea of the presence of the Lord that I want to bring out. And we're going to circle back to this throughout our series. Um, I'm going to put some um, words here on the screen. Let's go ahead and do that. We've got the, the Hebrew word for presence here. Okay, it's this. And in Hebrew, you read right to left, right? So it's panim is apparently how you say it. Now you're like, whoa, I didn't know our pastor spoke Hebrew. I do not. <laughs> I had to look it up. But here's what we discover when we look it up. The word that's translated presence is actually the Hebrew word for face, face. So anytime we see in the scripture that these people were in the presence of God, the scripture literally says they were within the face of God. When somebody runs, they flee from the presence of God. Literally, it says they are fleeing from the face of God. Why does that matter? Well, when we talk about somebody's face being on us, we mean they are looking at us. They see us and we see them. Okay. So when we talk about the presence of God, what we're really talking about is God seeing you who you really are, 
and you seeing him, who he really is. This is like hashtag direct eye contact. Some of you guys don't like direct eye contact. It bothers you. It creeps you out. Okay, I get it. It can be weird in the wrong situation, but it can be wonderful in the right uh, situation. Amber and I had our 17-year wedding anniversary yesterday, and thank you. That was nice. Thank you. Um, I didn't do that for the applause, but sure, thank you. So we're sitting across the table from each other, and you know, it's like, oh, I love you. It's direct eye contact. Okay? There is an intimacy that comes when you see someone face to face. When they look into your eyes, you look into their eyes. There is a knowledge, there is a closeness and a nearness that you don't get otherwise. And the scripture says over and again, we were created to live with God's face looking on us. And we were created to look back into the face of God. But what I've been trying to communicate this morning is that sin causes us to hide our face from the face of the Father. Either we don't want to look at God because we're afraid of what we might see in God, or more likely, we're afraid of what God might see in us. The face of God is the presence of God. You'll see this phrase and this, um, what's it, this theme come throughout the scripture. This is why uh, when Moses has an interaction with God, he says, God, I want to see your face. And God says, listen, because of your sinfulness, you cannot see my face. We got to remove that blindfold first. And then uh, Moses, when he's blessing the Israelites, the blessing that he gives to them is, may the Lord's face, his presence shine upon you, be with you. That is what you are supposed to be experiencing every single day. God seeing you and you seeing him in awareness of his reality and his presence. You can have it, but it's going to take a little bit of reorienting your mind, you know, understanding things maybe a little bit differently than you have before. Living in the presence of God means seeing God in all of his beauty and majesty and holiness and then allowing him to see us in all of our sinfulness and flaws and foolishness. That is ultimately what we're after. God I see you, God, you see me. So let me give you a couple of practical things. This is all nice and good, okay, but it's all up here in the head. What can you do this week to more deeply experience the presence of God? It's pretty simple. Three things that will help, at least. The first is confess your sin daily. Confess your sin daily. Look, if sin is the blindfold, if it is the thing that prevents you from seeing God the way that you should, then one of the best things you can do is to confess the sin and ask God to take it away. Now you say, well, Dan, I confessed my sin when I was 11 years old at vacation Bible school and I asked God to save me, so I did it. No, 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 no. We do it daily. Why? Because we sin daily, you guys. Because we need God's continuing and ongoing forgiveness. Listen, I, every single day, rack up sins. Just ask my wife. We've been married for 17 years, I said. Every single day I sin. So every single day, I need to confess that sin. Why? Few reasons. One is I need to be aware of just how often I'm hurting the people around me or hurting myself. That awareness is such a healthy and helpful thing. But not only that, if I'm not careful, sin will always, it will impact, block, blindfold me from a close relationship with God. And so every single day that I confess sin, I am continually asking God to take away the blindfold that I just keep putting on my eyes like a dummy. We need to confess our sin every single day. This is an extremely important uh, discipline 
for a follower of Jesus. It's not optional. It's not like, oh, it'd probably be good if once a quarter I just sat down. You'll never keep up that way. But if every day you said, okay, God, where, where are the areas that I really screwed up? Where did I do myself wrong? Where did I do other people wrong? How can I make this right? That is such a healing and healthy exercise and discipline to get involved in. So confess sin. Second thing is practice pr- uh, sensing God's closeness practice his presence. We're going to talk about this more. I'm going to give you some more practical ways to do this throughout the series. But literally, there are things you can do to make yourself more aware of the fact that God is here. God is, like you guys realize that? God is here. He's in that seat and he's in that seat. He's way in the back too. He's hanging out with you guys back there. God is here with you. He's in your office. He's in your bedroom, as weird as that might be. He's at the grocery store. God is everywhere. And you can learn to attune your soul to sense him more clearly. And you can practice that easily. Like literally today, tomorrow, you can go throughout the day and remind yourself, God's here right now. That's so, that's crazy. God is here right now. Just that awareness will help. You can read his word. It is literally God communicating himself to you. The more you know his word, the more you know God. The more you know Jesus, the more you know God, all right? You can delight in his creations. One of my favorite ways to experience God's um, presence, go to the mountains, I'm all by myself, I just soak in the majesty. Now, what you gotta be careful of is that you don't exchange your devotion for the creator to the creation, right? So it's not like, you know, I'm not worshiping the mountains, I'm worshiping the God who made the mountains. And when I'm there, it really reminds But here's the deal. If what I'm saying is true, God is everywhere present, I should be able to experience God on Deerfoot as well as I can in Banff. So I'm learning, okay? It's easy out there in the mountains, but I'm learning here in the city. I'm learning to experience God's presence, to sense him every single day. And then the final thing is to just pray. The scripture says often we have not because we ask not, okay? If we were to pray, God, give me a deeper awareness and a greater enjoyment of your presence. I want your face to shine on me. I want to look at you, God, and be unashamed. Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they realized they were naked. Suddenly, the scripture says they felt great shame. They felt like they had something to cover up. When we say, God, I want your face on me, and I want to look at you full on in the face, what we're saying is, God, I don't want to hide anything. I want to see you, and I want you to see me. I want to experience your presence every single day. Look, if you just go throughout life busy doing your own things, God will be all around you, but you will not experience or understand what it is that he's trying to accomplish in you and through you. But if you'll open your mind a little, if you'll say, okay, God, I know you're here. Help me to know that you're here. Help me to experience it and see it every single day. I just believe based on the promises of his word, it's possible for anyone. You don't have to be special. You don't have to be hyper-religious. All you have to do is want more of the presence of God, he'll give it to you.